0: We're gonna look at Mark chapter one, and this is not a typical Christmas scripture because it's after the part that we celebrate Christmas. Uh, But I think it's important. We're gonna talk about purpose this morning. Purpose, Mark chapter one, starting in verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law, lay ill with fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought him to all who were sick were opposed by demons, oppressed by demons and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early the next morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said, then let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord. We know your word. It's powerful. We know in a setting like this where we've come specifically to hear it, Lord, where where we're focused on it, it has the power to transform our lives. And I pray it do that, especially at this time of year. Let us be receptive to what you would say to us today. Change us. This doesn't have to be an ordinary Christmas, Lord. It could be an extraordinary. Let it be because of your word today change our hearts and our minds. And because you've done that, let it change our actions. And we pray that the gospel would go forward because we were together. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, and everyone said, amen and amen. You may be seated. As I said, this is not your typical Christmas scripture. We're not talking about Jesus in the manger. We're, this is uh, the beginning of his public ministry, actually. Uh, Jesus has already been tempted in the wilderness. He was in the wilderness, the Bible says. He was led out there by the Spirit of God for 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't eat. I don't know about you, from about four hours not eating, I feel temptation. Jesus went 40 days and 40 nights, and the Bible says that he was tired and hungry and the devil came to him and tempted him in that time. I have a totally separate sermon idea where, um, where you start to realize you have these hormones in your body like dopamine and serotonin that produce good feeling hormones. And the, the activities that they're connected to are the very things that the devil tempted Jesus with. And doesn't most of our temptation come from wanting to feel good? That's for another Sunday. He's tempted in the wilderness, he's hungry, he's weak and the Bible says that he resists the devil with scripture and the devil flees from him and he begins his public ministry. Luke records that after the temptation by the devil he begins his ministry by teaching in Galilean synagogues where everybody glorified him. Nobody had heard anything like it. He then travels to Nazareth Where he's rejected by his own people. You ever notice that doesn't matter how big you get, how successful you get. When you go home, you're still somebody's nephew. You're still somebody's cousin. You're still somebody's just, hey, I remember you when you were nothing. Don't cop an attitude with me. It doesn't matter how successful you get. Jesus goes to Nazareth. He's rejected by his own people. He makes him so mad during one of his sermons that it says they rush them out to a cliff to throw him off of it. Now that's a bad family reunion. When you say something so bad at the family reunion that they want to rush you out to the cliff and toss you off of it. But Jesus is not only human. He's 100% human and 100% God. The Bible says that he walks right through him. he just walks out. He ends up at Simon Peter's house with Simon Peter's brother Andrew And we find out that Simon's mother-in-law had a high fever and Jesus takes her by the hand, heals her, and she begins to serve him. Now you can debate whether that was a good idea to heal the mother-in-law. I have a wonderful mother-in-law that I would always ask God to heal. (laughs) The Bible says that as soon as he heals her, she begins to serve him. Just a little side note. I think the response to healing should be service. I don't think we could look over that. I think if, if God has redeemed you, you should serve. If he's healed you, you should serve. If he's, if he's made a way where there seems to be no way, the response should be, what do you want me to do? I'm serving. And the Bible says that his mother-in-law was sick. Jesus comes to her, takes her by the hand, lifts her up. Boom. She has no fever. She was running an extremely high fever, has no fever anymore. And what's her immediate response? I'm going to fix this man some dinner. Instantly starts to serve him. What are we waiting on? What are we waiting on? He's done so many good things. Are we serving? Amen. So what happens though is he heals her on the Sabbath during the day. And that is a no, 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 no. I don't care if you're Jesus and you're the son of God, you still don't break the Sabbath tradition. And, the, and he would later on get in trouble many times because he would heal somebody on the Sabbath during the day when, you're, when Jews are not supposed to work. They came up with all these crazy little rules that you, you couldn't light a fire. You couldn't do any, any type of work during the Sabbath. And they would challenge Jesus, how do you heal people on the Sabbath? And so he heals her on the Sabbath and then you find out that everybody else waited till sundown. Everybody else in the vicinity went, "Uh, uh, okay, he's going to do what he does, but we're going to wait till sundown because we don't want to cause any stir. So that's very specific that that Mark records that they waited till the sun went down, then they started carrying their sick and demon-possessed to Jesus. Now he's still in the house. So the Bible says that the people pile up outside the house and they come in. They come in one at a time. He heals them, casts out demons. And the Bible says that that he says, when the demons come out, don't, don't talk, tell anybody who I am because it says that all the demons knew who he was. You don't have to tell the devil who Jesus is. He knew before you were born. You don't have to remind the devil that Jesus is with you. He knew before you were born. So Jesus says, shh, don't say anything. So you can imagine this picture happening. It's got to be Unbelievable. This was not this was not some made-for-TV evangelist thing where they're trotting up wheelchairs on the stage and then people are getting up and you're scratching your head going, is that real? They were bringing people from the town that everybody knew was sick, and they would walk him into the room and he would heal them. Could you imagine standing in that room with him while he was doing it, knowing that the guy you worked with last week had a broken leg, and then they drug him in here and his leg wasn't broken anymore. It would have been fascinating. It would have been it would have been worth it would have been worth doing a doing an Instagram TV thing over Facebook Live. You'd have been like, look at So you can imagine when everybody went to sleep, wake up the next morning, Jesus wasn't there. Bible says that he intentionally got up and left and went out to a solitary place to pray. But if you were healing everybody in the town, don't you think they'd come look for you? they come out of the town. The Bible says Simon and everybody walks out of the town and finds him. Obviously not solitary enough. They all walk out of the town. They find him, and they say, hey, what are you doing? I don't know. We thought you'd come back, and we could just create a bunch of healings in front of you again. You could heal everybody, and then you could give everybody some money. You could make everybody rich. You could... Could you imagine having a Jesus in your town all the time? Wouldn't that be convenient? Hey, Jesus, my boy won't listen. I'm going to leave him with you for a second. Put some hands on him, because I already have, and I don't have the healing power you do. Jesus tells them, I've got to leave. I'm leaving. He said, this is why I came out, because I've got to go preach at other places. I want to talk to you this morning about purpose. I want to talk to you this morning about purpose. Because at this time of year, you have to be, I, I'm enamored by the intentionality of God. The, the, the stories that we've talked about for the last three weeks about how he intentionally went to the shepherds, how he intentionally was born in Bethlehem, how he's an, All this intentionality that God orchestrated all the way up to this point. And then we we seem to lose a grip on it sometimes in our lives because our lives become less intentional than what God intended them to be. I believe it all has to do with purpose. Knowing your purpose will cause you to do things on purpose. Somebody say amen. Knowing your purpose will cause you to do things on purpose. Purpose as a future end will cause us to have a purpose as a current intentionality. Let me explain that. So if you know what your purpose is, what, you, what you're supposed to accomplish on this planet, if you know what your purpose is, that will cause you to carry out purpose with what looks like intentionality. So I know what the end should look like so I can be intentional in the now. Amen? And so everything that God did bringing Jesus to earth was extremely intentional because he knew what he had to do once he got here. And then everything Jesus did on earth was intentional because he knew what he had to do while he was here. You know what I never hear Jesus recorded saying? Oh man, sorry, I didn't mean that. Oh, I didn't mean that. Sorry, sorry. I mean, I didn't mean to do that. I'm thinking, we say that a lot because because Actually what happens is this thing starts thinking and that's where most of us get in trouble. This thing starts working right here. And then the space between this and this is small. But there's a little part right here that you should have a a vocal HEPA filter in that thing right here. Because the crazy part is most, most of us go through seasons where what happens here comes out here and then we immediately... Say afterwards, I didn't mean to say that. To which I reply, oh no, you did. You just got caught thinking something out loud. Jesus never did that. He never did something and somebody find out about it and go, I didn't mean to do that. There was purpose in his life, so everything he did was on purpose. That gave him less excuses as well. Jesus didn't say, hey, my father's God. Oh, whoa, whoa. actually, he did say that. He said, everything I do is what I see the father do. I have no excuses. It's all on purpose. I only do what I see the father do. So there is no wiggle room with me. If I do it, it's on purpose. Ooh, that'd be a dangerous life to live. Hey, you sound a little smart Alec. right there. Oh, oh, that was on purpose. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, did you tell on me? Yes, on purpose. Yeah, yeah. Hey, did you skip over me? Yes, on purpose. Could you imagine living your life that way? No, no, no. I intentionally didn't put you in the group. You're not performing. You got cut. Could you imagine? No, oh, you know what? I didn't mean to do that. Jesus never said those things because he was focused on an end and the end was the cross. So that means from birth, from what we're celebrating In a couple days, from that day to the cross, everything was intentional. I'm proposing that through the Spirit of God, we could live a life similar to that. I didn't say it'd be easy, and we're going to talk about that. But I'm proposing we could live a life similar to that, so that we don't walk around going, Hey, what do you, I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm just just trying to figure it out. Let me show you what happens in Luke chapter 2. This is... 12 years after Jesus was born Luke chapter 2 verse 41 now the parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover it was tradition and when he was 12 years old they went up according to custom and when the feast was ended as they were returning the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem and his parents did not know it any of you ever lost a kid? let's be honest no shame here we lost a kid we lost a kid at Disney was that right? Lost a kid at Disney. She's here this morning. (laughs) Found her her a couple years later doing five. How long was it, 20 minutes? It wasn't very long. 10 minutes? We're going to say it was five just so it didn't look that bad. (laughs) Now watch this. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast had ended, they were returning and the boy Jesus stayed behind Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. Oh, man, dad's going to be fired up. Because if he's 12 years old, they probably had other kids. So I can imagine riding in the station wagon a whole day. And mom looking at dad, dad looking at mom and saying, hey, I don't think Jesus is in the back seat." And I said, oh, he's with cousin Jimmy. And then they get him the cell phone and they call over to cousin Jimmy. And Jimmy says, I ain't got him. And they call over to Aunt Susie like, and say, I ain't got him. And then they start to panic. But see, a mom's panic and a dad's panic are two different things. A mom's panic is like, oh, there, should be, there could be something wrong with him. A dad's panic is, I'm going to wear him out. He should have gotten in the car just like with all those other kids. You wait till I get to him. Riding down the road the whole way, a whole day's drive back to Jerusalem, and you're thinking two different thoughts. Oh, you wait till I get a hold of that kid. He better be hurt. There better be a good reason. There better be a real good. He better been kidnapped, and there better be a ransom. Because if I come back and he's just sitting there, and the mom's like, "But we gotta, we gotta, we gotta find," him. it's like, "Pull yourself together." They get back there. They find him teaching at twelve years old. Now, now watch what the Bible says. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple. After three days, a day out, a day back, a day searching, three days, they find him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. But not just astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Through her teeth like this. Son, behold, your father. Come on, guys, you got to read scripture the right way. She's saying, why in the world did you do? Now she's in front of church people, so she's got to act saved. She's in the temple. He's sitting there listening and asking questions. Everybody hears him talk is astonished. She is trying to act like she's supposed to because if they'd have got him outside, she says, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father has been looking for you. And he said to them, why? Why? Were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? And it says that Mary was stored up all these things and just pondered on them and pondered on them and pondered on them. At 12 years old, Jesus was going, I've got to do this. It's my purpose. So the cross, the purpose before him, caused him to be intentional in the immediate. And here's what I would venture to say. Most of us aren't holding a purpose out in front of our lives, which causes us not to be intentional in the immediate in our lives. Because if there's no purpose to reach for, there's no urgency in the immediate. Well, I don't have to stay at this, t- I can do it, I, you know, I don't have to do that. I don't, I don't have, to, or I'm sorry, I didn't mean it, it wasn't on purpose. It, so most of our lives were walking around acting like we're not doing it on purpose. Most of Jesus' life was to convince everybody he was doing it on purpose. Think about the role reversal there. Most of our lives were trying to let people know that we that it wasn't on purpose that we said that, that it wasn't on purpose that we did that. Look, don't think I'm a bad person. I wasn't on purpose. I wasn't disobeying on purpose. I wasn't breaking the rules on purpose. Jesus says, nope, stayed on purpose. I don't want to spank him, but I gotta let you know I'm supposed to be here. Remember, I'm Jesus. Don't spank me. <laughs> Could you imagine riding back after that? Joseph's like, Mary, we gotta figure this thing out. I know he's the son of God, but he can't just be staying everywhere he wants to stay. Gotta get him a little, well, him harness things or something where we know Jesus in a harness. Let me ask you this today, or let me make this comment. If we lack intentionality, maybe we should look to see if we have purpose in our lives. Because purpose always shows up as being intentional in the immediate. If God has purpose reunited and I'm sold on it, and I know that's what I'm supposed to be doing, then it changes what I do today changes when I wake up. It changes when I go to bed. It changes what I focus on during the day. It changes everything. And when God had a purpose, he sent Jesus to earth and it changed everything. And there wasn't a morning that Jesus woke up and went, ah, I woke up too late and I missed it. Everything was on purpose. So when he was healing people, it was on purpose. And when he was leaving, it was on purpose. It was all on purpose. So knowing your purpose will cause you to do things intentionally. Something that I'm fascinated by is how success and failure can affect that in your life. Anybody ever thought they knew their purpose and then they failed at it? Anybody ever done that? Watch this. This is fascinating. Purpose is never defined by success or failure. Look at your neighbor and say, I might be failing now, but that didn't change what I'm supposed to do. You're like, well, I'm not failing. You will be at some point in time. Tell them, I may be succeeding now, but that doesn't change what I'm supposed to do. Because too much success and too much failure can can turn the ship the wrong direction. Watch me. Luke chapter 4, verse 29. Luke records the same situation that happened at Simon's house. But he does it in a little different detail. In Luke chapter 4, verse 29, he records that when Jesus was in Nazareth, they wanted to throw him off the cliff. It goes to chapter 42, and they didn't want him to leave. Remember what we talked about last week about the freest you will ever be is when you're not bound to the approval of man? You will never follow the purpose of God in your life if it's always based on success or failure. It won't happen. You'll give up. Either you'll stay too long because you're successful, or you'll leave too early because you're failing. Watch this Jesus is in Nazareth preaches the same thing he's preaching other places, other places they're clapping. Jesus of Nazareth, they're taking him to a cliff to throw him off the cliff. They're like, you can't stay here. We're ready to kill you right now. 20, not even 20 verses later. They're trying to get him not to leave. You ever come home one day and everybody's like, get out, come home the next day. They're like, we're so glad you're home. If you ever raised teenagers, you know that can happen. People are fickle. God's purpose is not. So what happens is if we base how we fulfill God's purpose on whether everybody is approving of it or not approved, or whether it looks like success or doesn't look like success, I would say Jesus in Nazareth could be labeled as a giant failure. If he started trying to start a public preaching ministry and the place he goes to that is his hometown, they don't even like it, I'd say, Jesus, go back and practice a little bit. Maybe the way you're delivering it is off. They've never wanted to kill me. But aren't you thankful that Jesus wasn't beholden to either whether people were clapping or not clapping, whether people wanted to kill him or not kill him? Aren't you glad that he was focused on a purpose and intent on completing that purpose no matter what anyone else said? Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad that God didn't didn't take a, a survey of the earth and say, Hey, do you guys want a Savior? Do you not want a Savior? No, I know what needs to happen. And God said, I know what needs to happen. I'm sending Jesus. So what happens is, preachers in one town, they want to throw them over a cliff. Preaches and heals people in another town, they don't want them to leave. There will be circumstances in your life where you will do the will and purpose of God and people will not like it. They may be close people. There's other circumstances where you do the purpose and will of God and people will clap know this, success or failure is not the steering wheel. Because the Bible says, don't turn to the right or the left. And if we fail, we have a tendency to yank the wheel. If we get too much success, we have a tendency to yank the wheel. He says, stay focused. Stay focused on the races before you. Stay focused on fulfilling what God has before you. Says, look at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Fix your eyes on him. The guy that's the guy that was the example for all of us. He came on purpose. He was born in Bethlehem on purpose. The shepherds found out on purpose. The kings found out on purpose. All that was on purpose. And he, all that didn't happen on purpose, just for Jesus to become a man and go. Well, I don't know. We'll figure it out. No, everything from twelve on up was absolutely on purpose. Why did you leave us? Well, you know, I had to be here it's on purpose so it's never defined by success or failure, one minute they're not going to approve, the next minute they are going to approve over and over in scripture we see this Joseph repeats a dream that God gave him and what's it get him, it gets him thrown in prison it gets him thrown into sold into slavery, thrown in prison forgotten about, but what was the intentionality of the whole thing God's purpose at the end And every phase of Joseph's life served that purpose Go to Moses. God comes to Moses. Moses isn't interviewing for the job. Moses isn't sitting on the backside of the desert going, Hey, God, you got anything for me to do? Just sitting around here with a sheep. Thought I could be of some use. Moses is going about his daily life, as boring as it might have been. God comes to him in a burning bush and says, Hey, I got a job for you to do. He says, I don't want to do it. He says, No, you're the man to do it. He says, I really don't want to do it. He says, No, you're the man to do it. And he says, Could you give me some help? Yeah, I'll send Aaron. I don't like it. It's not a good idea, but I'll send him with you. Go to Pharaoh, tell him to let everybody go. Or is there going to be trouble? Moses didn't realize when he, the first time he went to Pharaoh, the trouble wouldn't be for Pharaoh, but it, it would be for the people Moses was trying to deliver. Moses goes to Pharaoh the first time with Aaron and says, let, God said, let his people go. And Pharaoh went, what? What? And they make the work twice as hard for all the Israelites in Egyptian captivity. They make it twice as hard to the point that all the Israelites now come to Moses and say, Who told you to speak for us? We don't like what you're doing. Who told you to come talk for us? We don't. Can you imagine doing exactly what God wanted you to do and then have it turn out bad? If you don't have purpose, you'll quit right there. If Moses didn't have purpose, he would have quit right there. He'd have looked at God and said, hey, man, I tried it. It was a pretty neat trick you wanted me to do. Nobody's for this. I took a poll. A hundred percent want me to stop. A hundred percent. They all have to work twice hard. Now they have to make bricks and get their own straw, and it's twice as much work, and they're driving them to do it. And and nobody thinks this is a good idea. God, have you ever said this? God, nobody thinks this is a good idea. but with his eyes fixed on the cross, he was born into this earth. And everything from the manger to the cross was on purpose. Every time they tried to kill him, every time they wanted to throw him out of the, out of the, out of the uh, town, every time the Pharisees challenged him, everything was on purpose. And I'm not saying that we can th- go through life flawlessly like that. But I'm saying that we need to introduce the intentionality of purpose into our lives. Because the Holy Spirit works through us, willing God's way in our lives. And so we can wake up in the morning at the first instead of the sixth snooze button. I don't think it was six this morning. And we can say, Lord, today is full of what you want me to accomplish. Jesus came to the earth. Jesus was born on purpose, lived on purpose, and died on purpose. And I want some of that in my life. I don't want to walk around just just trying to get through it or just trying to make it through another day. Lord, give me some purpose here. Purpose out front gives you intentionality today. And it helps you when you fail. Because guess what? He, here's a public notice. You probably already have, and you will again. And you're going to do something that's not popular. And You're going to do something that your coworkers don't agree with. And you're going to believe something that nobody else believes. And you're going to you're going to you're going to you're going to give away stuff that nobody thinks you should give away. And you're gonna and you're gonna spend time doing something nobody else thinks it's worth it. But the purpose laid out before you causes you to be intentional. And whether you succeed or fail doesn't change what He calls you to do. Whether you succeed or fail doesn't change what he called you to do. There's tons of times in Jesus' life, if you took a popularity poll, depending on who you polled, they wouldn't like it. I've never tried to kill anybody. The Bible says that they tried to walk him out and throw him off a cliff. If you try to start a public ministry, and the first town you went to they tried to kill you, You see the disciples now, hey man, you know, could we do this via video? Is there any way we could do something different here? If you are failing right now, it doesn't mean you should quit. It might mean you need to double down on intentionality. It might mean you need to double down on intentionality. Look, Look, if your marriage is rough right now, it doesn't mean quit, it means double down. What's the purpose God called you to? Oh, now we're playing out in real life. It was nice when we talked about the ethereal Jesus thing, but now we're playing it out in real life. If your kids are going through a difficult patch in their life, what's the purpose? I, know, I try not to look at seasons of my kids' life. I try to look at the purpose. Why did we have them? So that they could work for us. And that's worth putting, I didn't mean to say that. I should have more intentionality in my life. No, what's the purpose? The purpose for, for them to eventually grow up and fulfill the plan of God in their life. So success or failure didn't mean I quit because the purpose was still out in front. Amen? So what's the purpose of whatever you're doing now, whether it's marriage or kids or work, what's the purpose for it? Because it doesn't change. So whether it's a rough patch my son said he was in a rough patch the other day. You're not going to have a rough patch. Whether it's a rough patch in your life, two years, three years. Hey, the purpose. All of a sudden, I can have perseverance because the purpose is in front of me. All of a sudden, intentionality in the difficulty changes things, whether it looks like success or failure. Amen? Because can I say this? I think I said it already. If you are failing, you'll be too quick to leave. And if you're succeeding, you'll be too quick to stay. Purpose will cause you to move when it's time. Because Jesus, Jesus is in Peter's house. And they say, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. We'd like to have a healing Jesus. Stick around for a couple more days. And he says, I, I came for this reason. I've got to go tell some other people. So success didn't keep him there and failure didn't make him leave. He said, this is why I'm doing what I'm, there's a reason behind why I'm doing this. I have, um, I've played a lot of different roles here. Beth and I have been coming to this church 23 years now. And I've been on staff 19 years in November was nine, no, December, this month is 19 years started in 2000. I was the youth pastor for about 10 years. I remember saying, I'll be youth pastor forever. I love it. I was a worship leader for 10 years. News to some of you. I was the tech guy. I was the construction guy. Still am at times. I was a straighten up the sanctuary guy. I I was a whatever it was guy. For years and years and years, the roles changed. And then, and then what happened, and I've told this story before, but it's fitting here. What happened is about you know, seven, eight years ago, maybe, maybe almost 10 years ago, I didn't know it. Pastor Don, I worked for Pastor Don for 16 years. I didn't know it. Him and some board members had gotten together and decided to hire another youth pastor. They didn't ask me. So the board member who I was good friends with takes me to lunch one day and he sits me down and he says, you know, we do the small talk. We're eating. And he says, hey, Chris, uh, pastor and and the board have decided that uh, we think Adam should be the youth pastor. Really? (laughs) By yourself, you guys came up with that. Thought that was a good idea. All right. Now what you have to remember is Adam... Adam came here when he was 16 years old and um, got saved, grew up in my youth ministry, interned with me. I'm the reason. (laughs) He's sitting in the back laughing. So you know how all those things run through your head? Come on, help me out. I'm still sinful. All those things are like, wait, 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 wait a second. You're telling me that without asking me, I've been here a long time. Without asking me, you're just going to replace me. This is the first I've heard about it. And I said, well, what am I going to do? And he said, well, figure it out. (laughs) I kind of like to know what's going on. So I'm thinking, what do you mean, figure it out? Well, you know, we'll figure it out. I'm like, that doesn't mean anything. With this figure it out thing, am I going to get paid? Because like, I, I know a lot of people figuring it out that ain't, gonna, ain't getting paid for figuring it out. So I figured it out. I don't even know what it was called. I was a figure it out pastor. But Adam stepped into the youth ministry. Did a wonderful job. And then, then he took the worship leading from me like I had anything left. And here I am sitting over by myself. I've at the church longer than anybody on staff. With no, no defining role in ministry. Until told the first service I wasn't crying. I've only cried twice in my life. One of them was when I was being born. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't mean to say that. The problem is some of you've tied up your purpose in what you're currently doing, and that's a mistake. I think I've had 13 jobs in my life. I started pastoring when I was 24, so I had 12 of those jobs before I was a pastor. I would do anything. I didn't care. I'd do anything. If it paid 10 cents more, I'd do it. Oh, you make more money? What do you do? I'll do that. But then I thought when I came into ministry that I would settle down a little bit. Only the exact opposite was true. My role has changed here as much as it did before I became a pastor. So what I started realizing was my purpose was not linked to what I was doing. What I was doing currently was fulfilling my purpose. And that's that's something we need to wrap our heads around right now because some of you are anxious about a change in your life and you think God's purpose is left. But that's not the case. God's purpose didn't change because your job changed. Maybe your job changed to fulfill the purpose of God. So Jesus in one town was a healer and they wanted him to stay. And then the next town, he was a preacher. You couldn't lock him into one thing to save your life. He was a healer. He was a deliverer. He was a prophet. He was a king. He was a preacher. He was all these things. He was a, he was a rabbi. He was all things to us. And as soon as somebody tried to lock it down, hey man, stay with us and just heal everybody. Nope, there's other things I got to do. Other things I got to do. So, what I want to say to you this morning is that your purpose is not just tied up in one thing in your life. I know your mom, but that's not the only thing. I know your dad, but that's not the only thing. I, I know you may work this job for this season of your life, but that's not the only thing. So what it, what purpose does is it makes transition easier. Oh, we have so much trouble with transition, don't we? Like everything's changing. I can't handle the change. I can't handle the change. Purpose makes transition palatable. Did you hear that? Because... Now, I'm not defined by what I do, but I'm defined by what I was called to. And then listen, you can serve people doing anything. You can love on people doing anything. You can, you can help people doing anything. You can be kind to people doing anything. You can, you can lay hands and heal people doing anything. Amen? Amen? And so we get so tied up. As soon as somebody wanted to put a label on Jesus, say, no, stay here and do this. He went, no, no, no. My purpose is bigger than one thing that you want me to do. So all of a sudden I realized that everything God had asked me to do up to this point in time was to fulfill a purpose. It wasn't that I was only supposed to be a guy that sprayed bathtubs because I did that. I sprayed paint on bathtubs (laughs) I sprayed paint on bathtubs it was a good job but I had it I've done all kinds of things and what I realized was I'm not defined by actually what I'm doing currently, I'm defined by the call of God and the purpose of his on my life and so some people looked at Jesus on the cross and said failure God looked at it and said success some people looked at Jesus and said, There's no God looked at it and said, He's fulfilling the purpose. He's fulfilling the purpose. So stand to your feet. I want to encourage you today. Everything, everything God does is on purpose. Job said, No plan of His can be thwarted. Bethlehem, Nazareth, Herod. The angels, the shepherds, it was all on purpose. And so I have to think that the God of all the universe that has a gazillion options in front of him to do whatever he wants, if he put that much intentionality in getting the Savior here and then all that intentionality to get him here and then get him to the cross to die for your and my sin, all that intentionality, that he's got the same thing for you and me. That the power that coursed through Jesus's veins is available to us today. The Bible says He didn't give you a spirit of fear. You don't have to run around wondering. You don't have to run around scared. But a power, love, and a sound mind. He said, "I've given you a purpose. And whatever whatever you find yourself doing today, it's intentionally put there, designed to to fulfill that purpose. So stop fighting against it. Stop stop moaning over some failure. Stop stop gloating over success, and realize that God has me on a trajectory to do His will in my life. And I can be confident today that it's not based on what people say I am, it's not based on the current job I have, but it's based on the power of God in me. And so it doesn't matter what I'm doing right now, what my role, I can do the will of God. I can fulfill the purpose of God in my life. Amen? So with the intentionality of Christmas, we wake up, And we say, Lord, do that to us. God, we see how on purpose you sent Jesus. And we ask you to do the same thing in our lives today. We ask the whole community change. God, because a group of people in a church out in the middle of West Virginia decided to live life on purpose. No matter what we find ourselves doing, Colossians, Paul writes, do it with everything you have, as if we're working for the Lord, not men. And so we pray that this morning. We pray and ask you to give us that intentionality. We pray and ask you to give us that purpose this morning. And Lord, we pray that you help us navigate those things in life. And we pray that we'd be victorious in the end, that we, at the end of the day, you'd say, well done, good and faithful servant. So with the same purpose Jesus came, we pray you put that in our lives today. And we give you all the honor and the glory for it forever and ever. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, church, say amen. He's good. Amen. amen. And listen, why don't you encourage somebody on purpose as you leave? You can be generous as you go, and we'll see you back here Tuesday night, seven o'clock. See you then.